This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. AI shapes supercomputing. And processor news plus screen 500. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another SC16 edition of This Week in HPC. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. And we're coming to you from Salt Lake City, Utah, where the Supercomputing Conference is wrapping up for this year. Michael, did you have a good show? I did. It was a very interesting show, a little different from uh, the others we've been at, but I had a good time. How about you? Yeah, I always love this conference, and I'm very thankful to Salt Lake City for having us. It did turn cold here a little bit before we <laughs> before did. we left. The, the temperatures plummeted last night. We woke up to snow this morning, but, <laughs> but we still had a busy day finishing it out. And we've got a lot of news to cover, and we're not going to get to it all in this podcast. We'll sneak in another one again early next week to, to try to wrap up more of our supercomputing coverage. But now that we're through it, Michael, I think the big dominant thing that everyone was noticing, and we expected this, you didn't need predictive analytics for it, but right. the, the big thing was there was a lot of artificial intelligence, deep learning, machine learning that permeated a lot of the news cycle, a lot of the messages in the booths, a lot of the uh, uh, sessions, keynotes, plenary talks. It was just uh, kind of the, the big message of the year was looking at this new application area for supercomputing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everywhere I turned, there was somebody was talking about it either in their booth or at a session or, like you said, uh, just an exhibitor form, wherever you couldn't swing a, a dead cat without hitting a neural network right here. So it was it was pervasive. I didn't try it with the dead cat, but I'm sure you're right. I'm, you probably tried it out yourself. It did seem to be everywhere, almost to the extent, well, I was in more than almost, to the extent that I thought it was too much. Uh, this show, we've tended to, to see people try to get onto the hot message, whether it was uh, AI this year or big data previously or cloud or going back to grids. It seems like people want to glom onto what the hot message is. And that's fine. You want to position around it. But to me, it felt like, you know, where's my traditional supercomputing message a little bit, especially with AI, because we view that as a proximity market. It's an expanding area, but it's not really a traditional supercomputing application area. Yeah, certainly not traditional, but certainly I consider uh, some elements of AI, a lot of elements of AI as what I would now call a typical HPC application, but not traditional in the sense that they have history anymore. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of, of that at this conference. But some of that, I think, was because, like we mentioned last time, there wasn't a lot of product announcements or new technology uh, big new technology announcements at, at this conference. So I think that sort of took the gap and that that was the new technology of the year here. So it, it took up a lot of the uh, the oxygen in, in the room here. Well, yeah, the, we were light on platform announcements for sure. We were light on storage announcements. Uh, I think the biggest technology announcement really was the one that came out before the show. We had the preview of the the Mellanox 200 gigabit end-to-end uh, -end product line. I think even though those are products that ship next year from a technology perspective, that was probably the, the most significant announcement. Yeah, I would say that. Now, Intel did have what I would call a flurry of announcements. Uh, none of them were big into themselves, but it started to to sort of point to a strategy, especially around their AI strategy, but not, not all of that. Some of it was just uh, their regular stuff. They actually previewed their next generation Skylake Xeon, for example, here. They're that's not coming out until the middle of next year, but they were showing that and talking about that a little bit. 
And in, in, in that vein, the interesting thing that I found out about that was, and I think we knew this before, they were they're going to put a lot of sort of the, the Xeon Phi feature set into that new Xeon. So they're going to sort of close the gap there. For instance, they're putting the, uh, the AVX 512 uh, instruction set into the Skylake Xeon, and they're putting um, uh, at least some versions are going to have an integrated Omnipath adapter in that Skylake uh, Xeon as well. So uh, they're sort of closing the difference between the many core Xeon Phi and the multi-core Xeons starting next year. So maybe they'll create more differentiation um, than than what already exists now. But it's going to be interesting to sort of see that and how they position those two product lines. Yeah, that is going to be interesting. And that's something that Intel uh, has recognized it needs to get better at in terms of, of signaling the market which products they see as addressing which segments best so that uh, they give customer guidance on here's what we have in mind for this product, that product. I think that's only going to help their end user community, not that people can't buy the processors for, for whatever they want. And as for Skylake, uh, I did hear a lot about Skylake, talking to people who are Intel partners. Uh, you know, Everyone's getting ready for Skylake. I, I think that's a strong, uh, strong indicator that, that people are looking forward to that platform. Yeah, and Intel also did talk a lot about their Xeon Phi installations. I think we talked a little bit about some of them on the uh, the top 500, but they actually had nine systems uh, on the, with the new Knights Landing Xeon Phi. So it was it was actually a a big push for them, and those are starting to now appear in 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 some quantity there. And a lot of those were big systems. So uh, including the Theta system, which was the pre-Corral system that they're going to deliver. Uh, as Aurora uh, next year or early, maybe 2018. So it looks like they're starting to get some um, some traction for the night's landing. And as we mentioned, Omnipath in the last uh, in the last podcast as well, they seem to be doing well there. So in a sense, Intel had a pretty good show and we haven't even mentioned the, the stuff they were doing with the FPGAs. They had a couple of announcements around that as well. One, a collaboration. Yeah, one was a collaboration with Inspur to get a product for them and some of their customers. And one they're doing on their own, they're they're building uh, uh, an inference engine uh, with uh, basically the same FPGA that they're collaborated with Inspur on, the, the Area 10 FPGA. Um, and that, I think, is going to come out next year as well. So they're as part of their AI strategy. So they're, they're moving sort of on all fronts. And it doesn't all hang together sort of like a, a big strategy here, but it's all sort of related to HPC. So they sort of all pushed them out and during this conference, and I think they're going to see what's uh, what's going to stick. Yeah, you were saying you you got to get a lot of FPGA related content in different sessions or boffs. There are a lot of booths. You you were looking at FPGAs quite a bit. Yeah, people were experimenting with them. I know I went to to one in the emerging technology section. Even um, HPE is experimenting with. Uh, with an FPGA cartridge in their Moonshot uh, platform that looked very interesting. Um, Nimbix, the the cloud providers, has just installed some Xilinx uh, FPGAs. They've got, uh, they're using that as, uh, they're gonna start offering that as a cloud service with uh, Xilinx as the accelerator. That's very interesting. And then uh, Xilinx itself is is talking about it in this space, although they're still, I think, uh, have, have a more general purpose outlook than HPC. They're looking, to, to penetrate the data center in a more general way and and with machine learning, especially on the inference side. But a lot of different 
areas and then some use cases as well as the standing room only session just about uh, reconfigurable computing use cases so i seem to run in a lot of interest uh just over the last couple of days about uh about this technology yeah and you know i didn't spend as much time on the chips myself i was poking at a lot of other areas that i said in advance i wanted to look at at this conference and i can come back to some of those on the next podcast talking about some of the storage technologies particularly burst buffers and object storage i'd like to talk about liquid cooling a little bit uh, a lot on middleware that I think is going on, and even a lot of the cloud stuff, uh, including Azure and how that's heated up. But let's stick with chips for a minute because we, on the processor side, we we didn't get around to some of the some of Nvidia's actual announcements, including the the DGX Saturn V. Yeah, that was a very interesting system. That came in at like number twenty eight, I believe, on the top five hundred list. But that was the top uh, system on the green five hundred. Uh, by far, actually, it it actually increased quite a bit over the previous list. Especially, it it's almost just a shade under 10 gigaflops per watt. So we're actually getting up there. And when you consider uh, it's, uh, the the nominal number for the exascale systems are like 50 gigaflops per watt. So they're actually we're making some good progress there. And this Nvidia DGX Saturn V system is basically. Uh, almost pure P100 GPU. So this is their most advanced, power-efficient GPU in a very large uh, cluster. I think it's 124 of these things, uh, these, these appliances hooked together with InfiniBand. Um, each one of those has uh, is a DGX1 box. It's got eight, eight of these uh, P100 GPUs. So a lot of power. At, uh, even at, uh, I think it peaked out at five petaflops. And I think it'll impact at 3.3 or something like that. But at 10 gigaflops per watt, it's a very efficient system. And they're going to, it's a production system. NVIDIA is going to use it in-house to do some of their own work as far as like actually designing GPUs. But they're also uh, uh, using that as part of the um, the Cancer Moonshot, one of the projects having to do with the Cancer Moonshot program. They're going to use that for a machine learning platform to, to help with that effort. Um, and there's a few other things that it's going to be used for. I think they're actually going to get quite a bit of demand out of that since people are hooked into NVIDIA. Their partners are going to get some time on it, and especially for machine learning codes that people are looking to scale a little bit more than they have in the past. So very interesting system there. They talked about it a lot, and you know they sort of broke the bubble for the Green 500 in, uh, in a big way. Yeah, that green 500 continues to be an interesting list. I, as we march up in scale, we all knew that energy efficiency was going to be a big deal. And, and to be able to look at what's the delivered performance per watt, I think that's a really important metric for a lot of people. And uh, and we're really glad to, to see that going on. P100, meanwhile, uh, has a really good show overall. There were new platforms that were rolling out the P100. So, uh, and... And, and NVIDIA had a, a whole stripe of the show floor that was all NVIDIA. There was uh, like three huge booths and then Intel kind of surrounding, uh, each trying to outdo each other with the dominance of the show floor. Yeah, NVIDIA did have a big booth. They had a lot of uh, a lot of sessions they were talking about. And then they were totally focused on AI. I don't even know. I guess if you stuck around the booth for the whole time, maybe they would have talked about some traditional supercomputing applications, but they were... Uh, in their outreach, they were they were very focused on machine learning and AI almost all the way through. Um, the other thing we should mention about the Green 500 list it wasn't just it wasn't just Nvidia that sort of made that an interesting list. There were a, a lot of 
Other systems that came up on the list quite a bit, and we talked about the PizDot, which was the number two system, uh, also with the P100s. But in aggregate, the list uh, actually filled out a little bit better this time. There were more high level um, or big machines that that had more better efficiency than in list pass. And in fact, it was even said that the aggregate power of the whole list actually went down. So that's a really good sign. I mean, when you want to get when you're talking about energy efficiency, you want to make sure you're actually reducing the power on these big systems. And for the first time in uh, it's it's been 10 years, the 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 power on those on those top systems actually went down. So that's a that's a very good uh, development there. A lot of developments. Supercomputing always keeps us busy every year. I love this conference, and uh, and it's great to see everybody in the industry uh, again. We look forward to it every year. We're going to have a lot more to talk about, but we've already filled up one podcast, Michael. How about we close this one down? We'll check out a Salt Lake City and head home, and then uh, we'll come back for another another podcast next week, and that'll sit, hold us over till Denver. Yeah, that will. Sounds good, Addison. All right. Thanks a lot, Michael. Thanks for tuning in. Closing it out from Salt Lake City and SC16, you've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.